0: Good morning church family. Welcome to the first Sunday in Lent. This is a 40-day period of spiritual renewal leading up to Easter. This is a time in the church here when we refocus on and renew our relationship with God. It's a time where we think about throwing off sin or distractions or things that hinder our relationship with God and it began actually this past past Wednesday on Ash Wednesday where we were reminded of our mortality. We were reminded that we will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're reminded that in life we're constantly moving towards that final Easter day. The final resurrection. When we will all be in the new heavens and the new earth. So that helps us to to get ready to repent, to refocus on what truly matters. To rid ourselves of besetting sins and to pursue Jesus Christ first and foremost. So at the beginning of Lent, it's, it's, it's appropriate uh, to continue the series we've been in on the Lord's Prayer to, to shift our focus onto these last two petitions today focusing on lead us not into temptation. And to be honest with you, this has been the the hardest petition in the Lord's Prayer uh, for me to wrap my mind around uh, for several reasons that we'll get into uh, and we're going to do a little bit more uh, uh, teaching and instruction than I might normally do today, so that we can accru- accurately understand what we are praying. Um, and if I can be, I can be honest with you. I think the the temptation that I face, and sometimes I often face in preaching to you, is that I w- I'm tempted to be entertaining rather than educating you. Don't don't we have that temptation when we come to church as well? Like we we come to be entertained rather than educated. We come to have a good time, maybe, rather than growing in Christ. And so I'm just reminding myself, so I can overcome my own temptation, maybe some of your own, that that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to help us grow and find victory in Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do, amen? So what we're going to do this morning is three things. What does this prayer mean? Why do we need it? And how to pray this prayer? What does it mean? Why do we need it? How do we pray? So let's go to the first one. What does this prayer mean? At the start, you know, this prayer is tricky because what, what are we praying? What are we praying against? Uh, d- is God going to lead me into temptation that I so much so that I have to ask him not to? Like, that's kind of a strange request. But the Bible actually makes it clear that God doesn't tempt anyone. You know, apparently, some people in the early church that concluded that perhaps because God is the king of the universe that he's ultimately behind everything and so, so therefore he's actually the one who is tempting us. Actually, the Apostle James had to correct that misunderstanding. So, look at this in James 1. Okay, no, maybe I did not put this up there. Did I put this up there for you? There we go. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after a desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. James is saying, no, it's, it comes from within you. It comes from within you, it's not from God. So let's not fall into the, to an error of thinking that the apostle already helped correct for us, right? So we're not asking God to stop tempting us. He's not tempting us. Now, many scholars try to resolve this problem theological conundrum by pointing out that this Greek word for temptation in the Lord's Prayer can also mean test or trial. So, sometimes you'll see translations of the Lord's Prayer will, instead of saying, lead us not into temptation, it says, save us from the time of trial. You'll see that from time to time. But yet, I think this poses another difficult problem. Again, let's go back to the Apostle James because he also says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James says this is something that we could consider as joy because it's beneficial and it's something that we should let them do their necessary work, that this is necessary for our spiritual development. So, then why would we pray to have no trials if they are that good for us and necessary? So, for me, translating this word simply as trial or test doesn't really solve the problem, at least for me. Now, one very basic and helpful interpretive principle in looking at the Bible is to look at the immediate context. Did you all learn that in Faith Academy last semester? We talked about looking at context, right, Zach? Where are you? There you are. Okay, I know, I know you talked about that <laughs> in Faith Academy. Especially when we're looking at such a small phrase. We're kind of parsing through the Lord's Prayer, right? So we really need to look at the context. Uh, and so we are reminded that first, this comes right after we, that we have just prayed, as Jake preached a good sermon on last week, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. In the Lord's Prayer, we're reminded that we're like the prodigal son. We're like sheep who've gone astray. We've wandered from the Father, yet we are coming back home. He receives us in in His love. We come back confessing our sins and receiving the surprising, joyful embrace of the Father. Let's never forget that. And the Lord assumes that sin will be some type of constant presence even in the life of the believer and in the life of the church until Christ comes again. And if we're praying for daily bread, we're also then praying for daily forgiveness. And this ought to humble us so much that Jesus Christ knew that we would need to pray for forgiveness every day. Despite the maturity and despite the growth, despite the wisdom we have Uh, gained over the years, we still need this prayer for forgiveness. That's not to say that sanctification and growth don't happen because they do, but we still need this prayer. But despite sin being a constant presence, we can't just throw up our hands and say, oh well, I'm doomed just to be a sinner, no big deal, the Lord forgives me, I can pray for forgiveness. We can't just say that and not care whether we sin or not. I mean, have you ever had someone tell you that they were sorry, but they didn't change the way that they were treating you? I mean, if, if we find that repugnant in our own relationships, how much more so in our relationship with God? When we ask God to forgive us, we must also be committed to repentance, change, and reformation. And so when we require and when we request from the Father daily forgiveness, we are also crying out and praying for daily deliverance from evil's temptations. Daily deliverance from the things that we just asked for forgiveness from. We don't want to go back into what we just asked to be forgiven for. That would be folly, right? I just asked for forgiveness from that. Lord, I need your help not to go back into doing what I just did. So we need the Lord's deliverance from all the things that drag us away from God, away from holiness, away from our joy, away from truth, away from faith. We're praying, Lord, help me not to sin against you again. Help me not to succumb to those temptations that I just succumbed to. R.T. France simply says after a petition for the forgiveness of past sins, comes one for the protection from future sin. Forgive our sins as we forgive. And then there's that key Greek word that we translate, and. It's connecting. It's a small word, but it's actually in the prayer, right? Forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That important and connects these two petitions together. So we've come to look at what has come right before this petition. Now let's look at what comes right after Lead us not into temptation, what comes after? You can all say it. Okay, thank you, thank you. I'm just glad you're here this morning. But deliver us from evil, that's what comes next. Many people consider this just one petition, which I think is actually probably correct. Uh, But for the sake of this series, we're separating them to kind of take a deeper dive into them. But really, the, the phrase, the petition is connected. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or from the evil one, as it is often translated as well. Uh, and I think uh, partly this is because uh, evil is not a philosophical concept, as, at least certainly to the hearers of this prayer, but it's considered a real power in the world that is most clearly seen in the evil one, who often in the Gospel of Matthew is simply called the tempter. If that's his name, What do you think he does? He tempts us. So that is the key to seeing this. it's, It's not to see God as the one tempting. The source of temptation is in the tempter. That's why we're praying, deliver us. Lead us not into temptation, away from that, but deliver us from the evil one's temptations and schemes, lies and deceptions in his power. So this is essentially almost one of the same prayer. To be led not into temptation is essentially the same thing as being asked to be delivered from Satan's power and schemes because he is the one who tempts and deceives. And this morning we read for you uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, which we're, we have hear many echoes of the Lord's Prayer, right? He's, he's kind of praying his own prayer in this hour of trial where he, he's, he said, you know, not my will but yours be done. If this cup can't pass for me, right? So we know Jesus is kind of doing what he taught his disciples to do. He's praying through his own prayer, he's kind of riffing off the Lord's prayer. And so then when he comes back to the disciples who can't stay awake to pray with him, which despite after all my study, I still find amazing, I feel like I would have been better than that. <laughs> Probably not. But this part of it's like, man, why weren't you praying with Jesus? It's Jesus. But then Jesus says to them, watch and pray. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And if we allow ourselves to see this as a rough parallel with the Lord's prayer, I think it helps us see what this prayer means. It's a prayer that recognizes how weak we are. How weak the flesh is. We know, and we know how weak we are, Because we've just admitted that we've fallen before. We've just asked for forgiveness, right? So we know that we are weak. And so we know we need God's help to not fall. We know sometimes the right thing to do. We know our spirit is willing. But then when the moment of truth comes, our flesh is weak. So what does this prayer mean? It is a prayer to be led by God, out of Satan's temptations and power, so that we can do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. So we can live and do what God wants us to do. Freedom from our sins so we can do God's will. Now, let's consider, that's what the prayer means. Let's consider why do we need this prayer. We've touched on this a little. But this is, this is a prayer that recognizes temptation and powers of evil as fundamental facts of life in this world of our human existence in this world, of of what it means to be human, of human psychology, of forces that are as real and as strong as the gravity that's holding you down to your chair right now. But the problem is you don't often think about gravity's power, do you? But it's constantly holding you to this earth, is it not? That is the same with the powers of temptation and of the devil. We don't always think about it, and sometimes we don't need to get too obsessed with it but we do need to remember it's a fundamental fact of our existence. And if we don't take it seriously, we could be in some serious trouble. You know, if we're not careful, we're going to get what I call an LUI. Living under the influence. Living under the influence of temptation, sin, and the evil one. We all know how dangerous a DUI is, right? Someone is driving under the influence of a substance, that is not allowing them to think or see see clearly, and now they have become a danger, a catastrophic danger to anyone in the car or anyone around them and to themselves, right? Sin can take us that far. When we are living under the influence of these deceptions, we become a danger to ourselves and all those around us, wreaking havoc in the world. You You know, some of you might laugh at this, but I'm old enough now. Okay, okay. thank you, thank you. <laughs> I thought a few might laugh. I'm old enough now that my naivety about sin and temptation has unfortunately been destroyed. You know, this past, uh, actually yesterday, Laura and I went up to uh, see some college friends of ours. I graduated college in 2011. So some of you college students, that, you know, it's been, it's been a decade, and I, I think about you. College was like one of the best times of my life. I loved it. I had the best friends. I had a great experience. When I left, I missed it. Um, it was such a great Christian community. And I've seen my friends now. We've all kind of gone off in different directions and found cr- careers and callings. And some people have gotten married, some people haven't. Uh, but I've also seen a lot of people succumb to temptation. A lot of my close friends from college, they've the, the temp the tempter got a victory on them and I'm gonna I'm gonna cry. Some of my closest friends have destroyed their lives, their their ministries. And it's sad. You know, people who I would have never thought would have fallen into these errors of sin. You know, it's some big, some some not so big. Some people have endangered their health because of falling into False doctrine and things like that, not taking care of themselves. Some people's marriages are 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 struggling, and are in a bad place. You know, after after over a decade now of, of seeing kind of the fruits of this, it just it's just made me realize, wow. The power of the evil one is so powerful. We have we have to be we have to be on guard. And and, and I hope that we can all take that that reminder seriously. I mean, and some of you, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you live longer than I have. And you've seen marriages ruined by infidelity. You've seen lives ruined by substance abuse. You've seen families broken. You've seen families struggle because of workaholism. You've seen bodies fighting deathly illness because of poor stewardship. Unless we think temptation only leads to big things, catastrophic things, we can't, we can't forget the countless lives of people who come nowhere close to living up to their potential in Christ, but live lives of consistent mediocrity and lukewarmness, who may be in danger of false Christianity and not even know it. I'm sorry to say that, but is that not true? That is how powerful temptation and the evil one can be. But there is hope. <laughs> and a warning. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, If you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. I I hope to remind that to myself and to all of you. Just, if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. But for the grace of God, there go each one of us. And no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Temptation is powerful. Temptation is deadly. But giving into it is not inevitable. It's not a death sentence. It's not something that you have to be trapped in forever. The Lord provides a way out. And in a sense, that's what we're praying for when we pray this prayer. Lord, be faithful to me. Give me the way out of this, the power to be led out of this temptation. Freedom is possible for us. But the first step is to stop being so prideful and recognize that we're in danger of falling every day. We're praying this prayer every day, daily bread. Now, the church has traditionally seen three sources of temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The, the flesh being in our own selves and our own desires and our, our own bodies or, or brains. Evil desires present themselves to us as options, and Satan uses that. So it comes from within. It also comes from without, the world. Because in general, people in the world, they celebrate sin, and disapprove of holiness. And so those worldly and ungodly attitudes can begin to influence us. Instead of being conformed to the Word of God, we become more conformed to the world around us. That is a huge temptation. And if this were not enough, Jesus and the writers of Scripture are well aware of that roaring lion, the devil, who prowls around seeking to destroy anyone he can. He is humanity's ancient foe, and if you know the story in the garden, he entices Eve to question what God has said and to determine for themselves what is good and evil. So, I'm suggesting to you that we actually need a healthy view of sin, evil, and temptation as primary forces in our world that we are prone to give in to. But at the end of the day, despite all the temptation, we're all accountable for our own choices. Because the only person who's actually making you sin is the person looking right back at you in the mirror. The devil doesn't make you sin. The world doesn't make you sin. We choose to do that. That's something we choose to do. So we have to recognize that and take ownership of that. And that's why we need this prayer. Because if it's only on us, if it's all on us, if it's our choices, then you're going to recognize that we aren't strong enough for this battle on our own. We're not strong enough. And so that's what we're going to talk about how do you pray this prayer. How do you pray this prayer? I believe that the church can learn a lot from the recovery community. They know people need a community in which you are free to confess your problem. Confess and admit your addiction or vice or sin or whatever it may be. And the original th- first three steps of Alcoholics Anonymous were this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And made a three, three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. I submit to you that we're practicing those first three steps when we pray, lead us not into temptation. Lord, we are not strong enough in our own power to overcome the temptations that come from within, that come from without, that come from the evil one. We need you, Lord, to take over. Only you have the power. Lead us, we pray. Pastor Adam Hamilton, he suggests that there should be a strong comma after the request of lead us. That's actually the primary request, isn't it? We can get so zeroed in on the temptation and the powers of evil, but the request is actually lead. Lead us, lead me. It's a prayer to be led not by our own desires, but by God. And we have to admit that we really are not very good at leading ourselves. Lord, I'm not good at this. I'm failing. I just prayed for forgiveness. Lord, help me. Because one moment we want to do what's right, we want to follow God, we want to seek first the kingdom, and then the next moment we're hungry, we're tired, we're anxious, we're frustrated. I don't want to do that anymore. We give up so easily. Our flesh is weak. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so it's a prayer to say, God, take over. It's, it's, it's a prayer to, to be led, not, by, not be led by all the influences of the world or by the deceptions of the evil one. It's a prayer to be led by the Good Shepherd who leads me beside still waters, who restores my soul, who leads me in the right paths, For his name's sake, he is our good leader and shepherd, right? He will do this for us. But we have to say, Lord, lead me. Lord, lead me. I'm giving up control of my life to you. And then when we do that, even if we go through the darkest valley, even if we go through severe times of temptation and trial, we can say, you know what, I don't fear any evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely, as we sang, his goodness and mercy are are following after me. They're running after me. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He will deliver me from Satan's schemes. This is a prayer to be led by the Holy Spirit and not by our flesh. We are praying, lead us, lead us not into temptation. Lead us away from the broad road that leads to destruction. Remember, this is on the Sermon on the Mount, right? That's where Matthew 6 is. Lead me away from the broad road that leads to destruction. Lead me upon the narrow road that leads to life. Lead me, Lord Jesus, in your way. And our only hope to walk that narrow road is by the daily power, leadership, and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Do do some of you remember that one of our covenant affirmations? We affirm a conscious dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Every day, I need to be consciously aware of my dependence, my need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And if we pray this prayer sincerely, we know this is a prayer that Jesus loves to answer. You know, sometimes we don't know how to pray. but you can be confident. Any of these prayers in the Lord's Prayer, God loves to answer. These are prayers He wants us to pray. These are prayers He is delighted to answer. Jesus knows how and Jesus in particular, he knows how difficult the experience of temptation and testing are. He faced intense temptation in his life, in his ministry, but ultimately as, le- as we move towards Holy Week, we're thinking about his death too, right? I mean, when you came in this morning, you, you probably saw a, a, new, a new painting in our foyer painted by our own Mark Torgerson. And uh, I hope you will go take the time to read uh, his description of, the, uh, of what that artwork means. And in his description, he reminds us of uh, the suffering that Jesus went through going to the cross. It reminds me of this time in the garden where he's, <laughs> if there's any other way, Father, he was so overwhelmed. He was so overwhelmed that at, at any moment, he could have gave in and said, I'm not going through with it but he went through all the way to the cross and he ultimately overcame and did what we cannot do and won the victory for us that's why he's our savior in hebrews 4:15 through 16 says this we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Did y'all catch that? God wants to answer this prayer. Lord, lead us not to temptation. Lord, give me the power. I need grace and mercy. And he, is, he knows our weaknesses. He is delighted to answer this prayer. But we have to have the humility to say this every day, maybe every hour. Lord, lead me. In my own power, I cannot follow you the way that joy and peace and life require. Lord, I need your help. You know, the book of Hebrews also says in our struggle against sin, we have not resisted to the point of shedding our own blood. I don't think any of us have done that, but Jesus did that. Jesus in his battle against, uh, did this in his battle against sin, and so he can help us, no matter how difficult no matter how painful, no matter how persistent your sin or temptation or vice has been. Deliverance, freedom, forgiveness, it's all possible through our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your life over to Him. Come into the light and you will find the grace and mercy that you need. And if you're struggling in some type of sin or shame or temptation even right now, the answer to your problem, I believe, is, and not that these things are unhelpful, but it's, it's not ultimately in more technique or more knowledge, but it begins with turning your life over to God and saying, you are the one who can help me. You're the one who can heal me and free me. And so how do we pray this prayer? We pray it humbly. We pray it humbly. We pray it regularly. We pray it also confidently that the father will answer us and help us we pray unashamedly because he's already forgiven us our sins we've already prayed for forgiveness right so you don't have to live in shame he's given us the forgiveness now we're praying for help to turn our lives over to him that's the key to finding the grace we need but there there is one question that i think you have to answer is do you want to get well Do you want it? Do you want freedom? If you want to get well, I have good news for you. You can be led by the great physician. You can be set free by the great rescuer. You can be led by the good shepherd and find the rest your soul desperately needs. But like someone in recovery, and we all are, you have to make daily your own powerlessness, daily turn your life over to him, enlist the support of a community, where you can be honest, where you can be vulnerable. That's okay to do here, by the way. Because we're all sinners, amen? Okay, that's the one thing you can really say amen to. We're all sinners, amen? No one's perfect here. We're all pursuing healing and grace and freedom. And we hope that you find that here at Faith Covenant. So let's pray that God would help us do this. Let's Please pray with me.